And it's episode 34 of LOI Weekly after what's been a very dramatic few days for Irish football, uh, which basically culminated on Tuesday night in that epic uh, cup semi-final replay between Dundalk and Shamrock Rovers, which Daniel McDonnell and I will discuss very soon. We also had a certain game in Cardiff. We had drama in the Premier Division. And very shortly, we will talk to Paul Corry. We've had a lot of fine midfielders on the show, Dan, um, down the... Last few months, we've had... D- down the years. Down the years. There, there, I was just thinking of this earlier. You know, we've had Stephen O'Donnell and Martin Russell. Uh, we've had... McPhail. Uh We've had one or two others. So you like a really, really good five-a-side team. Yeah. And we'll discuss um, Paul Corrie, uh in about 10 minutes or so after we go over what was a very uh, busy few days. And as ever, you will find us on Podcast Republic, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes. And we'll keep the Snapchat busy as well. And we're in association with Airsport and Independent.ie. Dan, we were both in Tala last night. And um, how did you find it after the drama of Cardiff? You had to be, you had to come overcome a busy night in the professional. Front yeah, time. I mean, I actually only I missed the first twenty minutes. I wasn't actually working at the game last night. Um, still, sort of following the implications of Cardiff and what's been a pretty entertaining couple of days. And I should also mention as well, Shawnee McGuire making his debut, I suppose, on Friday too. This sort of, I saw someone make the point on Twitter at the time that the current League of Ireland top scorer playing in a. Uh, European qualifier, albeit no longer playing in the league, but that was and a, eight of our a, twelve a notable landmark. You know, I think nine of the twelve goals as well in the campaign have come from ex League of Ireland players. So, I mean, it, I mean, you, you can talk forever about the application and how it's done, and I'm sure there's there's plenty of people within the league who um, would have strong views. that say Stephen Kenny for one about say the team style of play, but there's no doubt that it still just gives everyone a lift. In, in Irish football when you have a big win like that when you have something to look forward to in terms of the playoffs next month and, and the possibility of a World Cup because um, you know uh, I didn't go in 2002 I was just about too young to really be able to afford to go it, and, and I'm 35 now so it's a lot of people uh, of adult age who haven't seen their country play in a World Cup you know never mind the fact the players have never got the chance to play in it um, I'm sort of feeling very envious of those who did in 90 and 94 and 02 just got to be a part of it so it's a big thing it, it sh- I think the connection between the league and the national team is way stronger now in the sense that they used to be viewed as two completely different things that sort of went along and I still think there is an element of that in terms of how things can be policed at times but I think for the public to see a connection between the two is um is good so I think the national team doing well is, is a positive thing and uh, the game on, on, on Tuesday night was a good one to, uh, to come back to um, I missed the first couple of goals and I don't think it necessarily was the highest quality game again a bit like the first game between Dundalk and Rovers it wasn't like a, a, a fantastically technical game and I think they're capable of better um, but the sheer drama of it, the fact that uh, the two sides that they've that actually both sides had on the pitch in extra time wouldn't be close to first choice. I mean, Rovers have made changes in order to chase the game. Dundalk's squad is looking very thin at the moment, uh, surprisingly so really, but it is looking very thin at the moment. Um, and, and they had a slightly unusual combination for them and yet they, they came through. And we had a bit of a melee as well. You know, we did, yeah. Looking forward to talking to Paul as well about... Um just the manner of how Ireland achieved the win in Wales, like which, you know, at the end of the day, we, we, we were fourth season, we finished second in the group, you can't knock that, but uh, the football was absolutely horrendous, I thought. I was, I think 20 minutes in, we'd passed, we'd literally made three or four successful passes. Johnny, this is minutes. a new thing. I mean, you went to the game, I've, you know, like, just 
this is this is not a surprise. We this did everything we could not to pass the ball. Uh, this is not a surprise. Everything not a surprise. Now, against that, I went to Tala, obviously, last night with yourself. Ronan Finn got a great goal. You said you missed first goal. I, goal, did, I did, yeah. So Finn's goal was a cracker. Um, but it wasn't the best game either. Much of it, it was very windy in Tala. But so much instant, Dan, and so much to talk about. Unfortunately, it wasn't live on TV. Um, but there was a lot to talk about. Oh, yeah. No, it was... It was uh, thrilling minute stuff later on in the game anyway and when you have a game where the two teams respective seasons sort of hinge on it and in terms of what's coming afterwards anyway I mean you know Rovers still have to tie up Europe they're fine you know they're going to be absolutely fine um, and I still think they'll take a lot from the season overall um, but for Dundalk really since since the league slipped away from them getting to the Aviva was the whole purpose and point of their season and uh, that desperation was evident in terms of how things panned out. But yeah, McMillan, O'Donnell. I mean, you, you talk about sort of characters popping up at the right times, and you know the amount of times I think in the last eighteen months where people probably have thought about Stevie O'Donnell. Oh, well, he's got is he done? You know, is he is he is he going to struggle? Is he going to be an asset here? Um, even times this season, he hasn't finished games, and you're thinking, oh God, here we here we go again. And yet, after 120 minutes, there was people, other players even cramping up around him, like Robbie Benson was struggling with some kind of knock, and others were sort of uh, needing their, their second wind, and O'Donnell's anticipating a quick free and sprinting, um, you know, making that sort of late burst at that point in extra time to get that fantastic header. That's, what a header it was. That's where your big players deliver. I was asked... Um, I think I was asked in the early on the second half, who do you want to get to the final? And I said, to be honest, I would like a Rovers uh, Cork final because, as we've discussed in the show, it would probably get the biggest crowd and it would be, you know, Rovers are so long uh, without winning the cup. But then a couple of things changed my mind on wanting Rovers to win the game. First of all, when McAllister, when Chris Shields came on, most unexpectedly, actually, that he was playing, um, the Rovers fans started chanting Dave McAllister's name, which I thought was... That's football, John. It is. That anyway, grand. Okay, the, we get over that. But then we had the Bradley incident with uh, Stephen O'Donnell. And now my recollection of it is it was fairly close to it. Trevor Clark, and another point that should be made about Clark, I thought he was far more effective uh, on the left, left back than he was in the right wing. He really came into the game at a really good second half. Looked smashing player, and he was on the ball a lot more. But obviously, he had the ball sort of in his hands. Stephen O'Donnell sort of grabbed the ball off his hands, you know, in a fairly abrupt manner, but Clark, no reaction. And then Bradley comes in and kind of, um, what would you say? I just gave him a bit of a push or whatever. Pushed O'Donnell. O'Donnell then kind of gave him a bit of a push back and a, a, a melee that maybe lasted a minute or so ensued. Um, utterly needless of Bradley to do this. I didn't see what the point was. And I, I was just thinking going home, the tempestuous nature of this Rovers team just seems to stem from what's coming from the sidelines. And what sort of example is this setting? It was nonsense. Like, And McAllister got sent off against Dundalk for, firstly, a stupid foul that was utterly needless on the sideline. And then... We've had that discussion. So many um, red cards this season. And what was the point in what Bradley did there? You know, you know it's a big game when a fitness coach gets sent yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. I think you've had that with Graham He Burn was one, one of the worst. Yeah. As well. The whole you, Dundalk and Rovers bench seemed to be there. Fitness about. coach was like an English cricketer and a night out in the middle yeah. of the whole thing you know yeah. um, and, and, did and he it, deserve his uh, sending off uh, he completely did <laughs> I mean there was no doubt but Bradshaw got away with uh, nothing I think I just think uh, there's there's been times this season where we've discussed Bradley at length uh, on this show and hasn't time, come on yet there's times where I think that you've been harsh in this instance like on the day of the game he was speaking about the team's need to improve their discipline in big matches uh, and yes 
I had a pretty good view. I think people who had a pretty good view could see that definitely he started this incident. Um, now, I have to say, there was a point halfway through it where it was so hard to control. You, you would wonder, was it, was it going to be one of those ones where uh, the referee just like sends a player off from each side? And I mean, O'Donnell like, would have raised his hands at a point. You know? he, was, yeah, he was on the yellow, wasn't he? Yeah. And it, uh, was he on the yellow at that point? No, no, he wasn't. He got the yellow for the incident. Oh, sorry, yeah. Uh, and Gannon got a yellow. I mean, Mikey O'Connor was in the middle of it too. And I just, I, I had a point going, he might just send off O'Donnell and Mikey O'Connor here. I, I just thought that might be the, the solution. And the ref showed a bit of restraint. And, um, Tough game to referee, but, wasn't but it? But I think the big thing about it as well uh, was what happened afterwards. Because at that point of the game, uh, Rovers were the better side. And they did have the wind with them as well in the first half, extra time in the second half. Um, but from a point where I thought they were struggling at, when they went 2-1 behind and the darkness chances, they were starting to look like the side that was going to win the game. And they had that big stoppage. It was like a four or five minute delay. Um, and when they came back, they, that momentum was gone. I think it actually galvanised. It almost fired up the dark a bit. And the rest is history. So um, it, it was needless. And I think it, it, it came back to, to hurt Rovers a bit. We should uh, laud Stephen O'Donnell as well. Just what you were talking about there, the quality of the header. And uh, put Macmillan in for a great chance as well before that, that he blazed over. But um, as you say, a guy who's had so many injuries, just I thought he kind of took the game a bit by the scruff of the neck. And Macmillan delivering the goods again, you know. And unfortunately, looking at it from the point of view of a Goy United fan, if we think it's a dead rubber the last game of the season, as you pointed out, Macmillan could be going for that top scorer, given that bit of motivation but the final now itself the the third we'll wrap this up at the third final between these yeah between these two and it's kind of it's a great final but how can we drive the crowd and as we as we know there are counter attractions in the football yeah there's, there's two brilliant uh premier league games that day which is going to be a, a bit of a struggle um but I, I sometimes that can be a bit defeatist to worry too much about it um it, it is the 5th of november it's it's going to be the start of the playoff week as well which is definitely going to you know the playoffs going to be so big that there's a danger that it overshadows the build-up a bit. But my argument is that it should almost be linked in in some sort of strange Festival way. Festival of football. Well, I don't, know. I, mean, I don't know about that. But, I mean, the fact is, you know, it's the third year in a row. Like, 2015, you had Towell and Horgan. Um, you know, Horgan now around the squad. 2016, it was Shawnee Maguire was the hero. He's now in the Ireland squad. That... Um, I think we, I always say you should sell the league through the players. And for the, the Cork Dundalk game... You know, there there should be a push based around the fact that this isn't just about a League of Ireland rivalry. This is something that for the once a year uh, attendee or or viewer that you might also come and see some players here who you'll be seeing at this stadium for a different reason um, within a within a period of time. So try not to um, play football. Yeah, <laughs> that that's a that's a, an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, there the. the, the the cup final last year wasn't a classic in terms of football, mind you, it must be said. Um, and the the, the Corkton Dock Cup finals, um, they'll be physical and they'll be intense and they'll be there'll be a bit of needle in it too. I mean, last year was very few chances in that game, if you remember. Kind of absorbing. It was absorbing because you're interested in it. I suppose if someone who wasn't interested in it might have found it the best, uh, the best cup final. In fact, the last two have been they've been tight, so it can't be too smug about it. But um, I would hope that the fact I know people say oh, a bit of fatigue or oh, cork in the dog again like they're the two best teams in the country at the moment if you can't drive that and if you can't push that and if you can't be creative about that when they've won one each 
then what 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 cup final is ever going to be sold? And if you're if you're waiting for Paul Curry, unfortunately, we still have to get through the um, games at the weekend, and there was a lot to talk about. We the we can touch on someone when we're when we're doing our preview later yeah. on, Johnny. To be fair, there's no point. Bray know. three, Galway three. Anyway, no cameras at that. Um, weren't allowed in. Draw the Nil Rovers too. Not much to be said about that. Why would you want cameras in League of Ireland game anyway? Eh? That's the that's the Bray way. Um, I was at that game as well, and I watched Harps and Dundalk uh, on telly. Nil nil two. Dundalk won that game, but you know we had Pete Mann on about United Park. Um, the one advertisement for a ten-team league is if Harps and um, Drogheda go down, which obviously probably will happen, that we won't have matches in Finn Park. Finn Park looked shockingly bad. Not to mind the pitch. The pitch, as I said on Twitter, it was like. Like it was a cross between something a field that was done for silage and a and a and a an athletics track because I was talking to one of the Dundalk players and he's like, well, there was all these tractor marks like, and they I think they brought the pitch in as well, but it was it was like heavy unraceable in places. If you had a horse in that, he wouldn't have been happy to run that. It was like, how can you? This is like Saturday evening, you know, we're in the middle of a football fever, and it just looked. It reminded me of the old days when League of Ireland was on telly for the first time. You're kind of watching it through your hands like this isn't very watchable you like Jim Sherwin presenting on Sunday <laughs> night yeah. for two or three minutes but, but but live football that was hard to watch because the pitch was shockingly bad but uh, yeah I'd um, heard before that the Harps pitch had been actually okay at times this year um, I think they've, they've been annoyed by some of the criticism of it I think there's no doubt that they probably tried to narrow the pitch and, and try and play it a bit to neutralise the opponents and if you're trying to stay up for survival you're going to do what you need to do but um, I, 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 I certainly think um in, in terms of TV exposure, you should be very carefully thinking what games are shown. I know the stakes are high and, and that's always going to be, you have to follow the story and follow the league story wherever it's going to take you. But um, I, I have no problem with certain grounds being neglected for live broadcast at all. I agree with you. Um, Pats 2, Limerick 2 as well. Uh, what a goal by Ogbeni and great goal at the end by Duggan as well. Actually, it, was a cra- it looked like a cracking game and uh, Sligo, Massive win over Bowes and uh, Keith Ward let himself down a bit with his own bit of, um, I suppose, frustration. But these things happen. And all that means that Cork um, are on the cusp of winning the league and probably will do it against Bowes at the weekend. So finally, we can now uh, introduce Paul Curry. Um, Paul and Dan have a kind of a, have a loose family connection, of course, um, which helped get well, what me you mean, What do you mean, of course, Johnny? Um, <laughs> Again, well, Johnny, one of these great moments where people who are listening forget that they haven't been living in your head for the previous... Paul's brother <laughs> and Dan are married, or got about to get married, <laughs> to sisters. You, you've really, You're you've, married you've, to a girl whose sister is, is a fiancé of Paul's brother. <laughs> you've smoothly explained that, Johnny. I'm not even going to say anything. I'm I've just, just explained it. You have. It's very slick. And as I said, Paul, uh, we did have some fine midfielders on the show, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um... You were at the game last night. What did you make of it? Yeah, it was uh, it was an up and down encounter, you know, full of action, um, probably a bit low in quality at times, and probably just Dundalk's experience of big games in the last couple of years probably tailed an extra time and probably got them over the line in the end. How are you doing yourself at the moment, Paul? Yeah, I guess the reason I'm here is um, you know to to chat to the two lads here and I guess to announce probably the fact that. You know, I'm I'm going to retire at the end of the season, and you know this is this is me in terms of my career, and um, you know my knee and the problems I've had with my knee are just come to a stage now where I'm not going to be able to play on, um, based on medical advice, and I'm kind of just you know my day to day living at the moment. I'm having real problems with it, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, I was over in the UK seeing the specialist who operated on me the first time around and uh, went then in for a, an operation with Morris and Elegant in the Beacon. And basically what I was told was that, you know, I suggest you hang up your boots. Um, was there any alternative? <laughs> no, no, it was a simple answer to that. He said the rate of deterioration within the repairs. So I had my lateral crucial ligaments repaired, my ACL repaired, and the meniscus on the lateral side of things is, is, is causing me massive problems. So he said to me, listen, you could try pushing, you could you could go back training and, and see how things pan out. But he said, you know, you keep pushing this for a year or two, you could be, you know, looking at a knee replacement in five, six, seven years. You could be walking with a limp in 10 years. And it's just, you know, I'm not prepared to to make that sacrifice and, and, and take that massive risk, you know, if potentially two or three years left in my football career if I keep going with the knee the way it is or if I do that you know I'm, I'm potentially faced with 30 40 years of problems in day-to-day -day life and when you mention day-to-day -day life as well what's it like at the moment I'm doing bits and pieces in terms of coaching at the moment and some days I wake up after coaching and I'm stiff and that is the reality of the situation last Wednesday night Wednesday night I was up at five in the morning for about 45 minutes in agony and it's not pleasant you know General day to day, it's stiff. There's not a day I go by without, you know, feeling it or noticing it. Even when I'm sitting here speaking to you, my left feels different to my right, and that's you know just reality. Paul, just for people who are listening who aren't fully aware of the, of the background, just the, the origins of this particular injury, right? This dates back to Northampton. Is yeah, that, yeah, it. it dates back to 2015. Um, I guess I had two kind of. Bad years at Sheffield Wednesday. I was there for three years. First year went great. The second and third year weren't great. Came home. Had a bit of a falling out with an agent. Um, and, and that kind of went a bit sour. My head was kind of all over the place. I was, you know, in two minds as to whether I was going to go back to the UK and give it a bash or come home and play League of Ireland. Um, hooked up with actually George O'Callaghan, who put me in touch with an agent who said, go over and train with Northampton Town, see how you like it. And I was thinking, oh... I'm not sure I'm, you know, I'm 23, 24 at this stage. I don't really want to be going on trial with teams. Yeah. Um, so I went over, I, I trained and I played against Derby and Birmingham pre-season. Bear in mind, they were probably two, three weeks ahead of me in terms of pre-season. Um, played, probably wasn't fit enough, but did really well in the games. Um, and they were against two quality championship teams yeah. at that time. Where were Northampton in the... Northampton were League Two at the time. Mm. So they wanted to sign me I came home struck up a deal went over so when I went over I was probably two three weeks behind everyone else because they were looking to kick on start a season I'd missed pre-season so I was training and I was doing pre-season in the lead up to the first week of the season so probably two three weeks in I was still doing pre-season etc cetera, etc cetera. playing the Johnson's paint trophy get my full fitness doing really well and then probably pushing to start in the team and in training just 1v1 had the ball on the outside of my left foot changed direction with the inside of my foot and what they say they call it is i've, I've hyper extended it out to the side i heard a massive crack body's natural reaction is to send it back the other way crack again so i've basically you four crucial ligaments and i've ruptured two of them and very closely ruptured a third one and in the same movement i've also done massive damage to my cartilage within the knee so big repair put me out for the season out of contract at the end of the season Northampton went on to win League 2 by a record number of points just very hard to watch from the sidelines bearing in mind I've had two bad years at Sheffield Wednesday this is the third year now I'm going without playing so I took the decision to come home I played with Steve McVeigh at Sheffield Wednesday he was 
talking to me about he was going in director of football. Would I like to come in, finish off my rehabilitation with Shamrock Rovers, train, get a feel for the place with maybe the view of kicking on next season. Went in, got a good feel. Tony McCarthy was physio at the time Alan Byrne was doctor experienced people within yeah. Irish football that was huge for me because I was coming back from what the surgeon in the UK had said was potentially career ending injury to be in the hands of good medical people was you know a massive boost for me I'd call some Stephen Kenny you know Dundalk had just gone into Europe uh, I wasn't fit to go down there but also I was kind of thinking the pitch down in Dundalk yeah. that isn't going to do me any favours with my knee so sign for Shamrock Rovers pre-season went grace did all the gym work, did all the sessions, um, and then preseason friendlies came around. Played against Luke, and the only game really I've played since I've come back pain-free. Couldn't have gone any better. Felt really, really good. Played against UCD, swelling before the game, swelling after the game, and it kind of just progressed from there. Um, when I mean swelling, I mean my knee's like a balloon. As in I, the following morning? I, yeah, the following morning, even after the game. And I, I sat down with Alan and Tony, and I said, listen this this doesn't feel right i said something seems to have happened in the last two or three days my knee is is restricting me now i'm, I'm not able to get from a to b as quick as i was two three weeks ago so had a few steroid injections to try settle it down went to spain on the preseason tour took it easy played against the korean side came on in that game and kind of just similar situation again and it was only you know training is is a certain intensity but it's only when you actually push your body to the limit of a game that i was having the problems and that just seemed to to continue and you know i went back to the uk to see the surgeon he said you know this is just the the nature of the injury i warned you it was potentially career ending you know just try and manage it so i was nearly doing a ledley king at, at some point you know i wasn't training i was training once or twice a week with the aim of being ready for a friday and it, it just wasn't right i was on the bench i remember the first game i played was against was against galway up in galway and uh, I came off the bench and I remember just warming up and at one point I've gone to try to stretch my quad and you know a typical quad stretch you stand on one leg you grab your ankle with your hand and you try to pull your heel towards your bum and I couldn't I couldn't grab my 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 ankle that's how bad it was that's the the lack of movement and the the restrictions I was having so that must be a very lonely feeling when you're just like it is and I came on in the game and you know I was able to get by but longer term you know it was it was just gonna kill me so i sat down with the medical team again and i said you know what are we gonna do they said right well we'll we'll try you know manage it best as we can and let's see you know next game comes around try get you starting from the from the beginning of a game and, and see how it progresses so played against longford so galway was early march took the whole of april off and then longford was the start of may in the EA Sports Cup. So started that game, got through it, came off. I remember Gary Shaw sitting on the bench said to me, how'd you get on? Or how did it feel? And I said, yeah, it felt okay. I was able to get by and technically I'm fine. You know, if I get the ball to my feet, I'm able to, you know, open things up and be able to create. But when we don't have the ball, I said, it's a massive problem. Like when we have the ball, I feel like we're playing with 10 men because I, I just physically can't get to people quick enough. And I said, with greatest respect to Longford, we had the majority of the ball that game. If I come up against Dundalk at Cork, I feel as if I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be you're out of my be, death. You're yeah. going to be caught. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, and I'm going to be exposed, and I'm, I'm not doing any justice to myself. I'm not doing any justice to my teammates. So I sat down with management, and I said it to them. I said, look, I'm at a serious crossroads here. I don't feel as if I'm able to do it for you guys at the moment. And they, they you know, they're able to see it. Maybe, you know, your average fan mightn't be able to see it, but Stephen Bradley, Stephen McPhail, Glenn Cronin, they've all played the game. They could see the, the problems I was having. I said, 
you know, I need to go back to the UK. I need to see Andy Williams, who was my surgeon, and see whether there's any solution to this problem. So I went back over and, you know, he gave me an whatever, Monday to Friday kind of a regime I could do. And it was the week after we played Longford. We played Longford on the Tuesday, I think. We played Dundalk on the Friday. I wasn't able to play two games a week, so I wasn't involved. Monday in training, I've gone to close Greenberg down and I've really tried to push it and I've accelerated to close them down. As I've gone to close them down, I've gone into a mini squat position nearly as you would. And as I've done that, I felt it. I felt it go again. And I just put the bib over my head. We have about a two-minute walk back into the fuse and I cried my eyes out the whole way back. I just knew I'd done something. Went for an MRI scan and they torn the cartilage again. So I guess with a torn cartilage, you either go back to the surgeon and he, he shaves down the cartilage and you know that's a quick fix or you can have it repaired, which can take months. Um, and they gave me a proposition that you put a lubricant in to nearly smoothen over the tear and see how you get on. And it just didn't work. It's plain and simple, didn't work. Went back in for surgery with Nelligan. And um, he tidied up the knee, said I had loose bodies on the end of my ACL attachment. Um, my lateral meniscus was nearly bone on bone, which is arthritis. Um, well, I do have early arthritis, in early stage arthritis in certain parts of my knee. And um, he just said the rate of deterioration within the repairs that were done in 2015, he was saying, was, was grade three, which is bad. And he said, you know, that's worrying. And I said, well, I haven't really done much to warrant massive deterioration within repairs. It's not as if I've been going hammer and tongs at it for two, three years. This was the first time someone had looked inside the knee since it happened. An MRI scan will only show you so much. And he just said, listen, I think you need to stop playing. And that's basically, that was only six weeks ago. So I've had conversations with, you know, my family and, you know, a few of the lads in the club would know and the management would know that, you know, this is this is it for me, you know, this is my playing career over and it's it's very, very hard to to take and You're you know, 20, 26 years. I'm twenty six and the injury initially happened to me when I was twenty four. I, I sometimes sit there and think, I don't ever hear of anyone with an injury at twenty four that's have to had to retire and it's you know, it's it's sad and it's a bitter pill to swallow, but it's you know, I've a future ahead of me and there's more to life than football at the end of the day and I don't want to be, you know, wheelchair bound at 35 40 and thinking you know well maybe if i didn't play for those extra two three years i'd have a better well, quality of life now because I, I saw you i think you tweeted something recently i think it was a piece for uh gundagan at man city it was a piece in the new york times about the the isolation of the player coming back from the injury and can i just ask you how difficult that is because i guess even that year at northampton and maybe at rovers you're you're at the club but you're you're not maybe at the club in a sense you know you're sort of in the you're, you're doing your own thing a train and you're separated from the group and, and how challenging is that? Yeah, it's really difficult and I, I think being an Irish lad and being away from home the fact that you haven't got your support system and your family and friends around doesn't help either. Where were you, like, where were you living there? In so I, I was living in Oxford um, so I was commuting in there was a car school that we commuted up to Northampton so the way I look at it and the way I, I describe it to people is that you know, you're a footballer you train Monday to Friday in England and you have a game on a Saturday once, you, once you're injured your job spec just com changes completely you know you're used to being in a team environment and you know having the lads around you and there's that camaraderie and there's that bit of you know, banter as they call it within the dressing yeah. room to being completely isolated particularly at Northampton where the training ground was actually separate to the stadium yeah. so I was in the stadium every day with you know the rehab specialist the physio and the doctor and the lads would go off to train so you know i was in before they'd come in for training i'd be in having massage and when i mean massage i say this to people you know it's not your typical massage i mean it's tough i was nearly you know 
punching the walls at times with the pain that I was going through. So that would be typically my days. I'd come in for, you know, my massage, then I'd kick on my rehab one-to-one with the rehab specialist. From there, I'd have my lunch into cardio, and this is all by yourself. Cardio, then you're looking at balance and uh, proprioception, and then, you know, you're back in with the physio for another rub, and then you bring it home, you know, your equipment for to try reduce the swelling, try build up the muscle complex machine, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just so lonely. I can't explain to you. Like, I know Luke Byrne, and speaking with Luke, Luke had Evan Osam um, have a similar injury at a similar kind of time when he was at Chemic Rovers. I didn't. I was doing all this by myself, and the repetition is so tedious because you're doing the same exercises every single day. Without the knowledge that this will definitely work. Exactly, yeah. Like, I was in there, and I remember doing the first month, and I remember thinking to myself, my God, I've got another eight months to go. A, a minimum eight months to go and it was the longest month of my like life like a prison sentence it really was uh, yeah, yeah. And, and to be fair to Northampton they were good to me once I got to a certain you know stage of my rehab they said to me you know if they had a game away from home on a Saturday they travel on the Friday I could nearly go home Thursday evening and come back Sunday evening and that kind of gave me you know just get out in that environment and kind of refocus and you know get that hunger back in you to come back and attack the rehab again but honestly it's it's mentally the most challenging thing I think I'll ever have to do yeah. in my life because like how do you cope with the questions from people because that's the thing you'll have your friends and anyone who asks you maybe even just family and stuff well how are things going like do you want to does it become uncomfortable do you, do you, do you, do you shut yourself away and not even want to talk about it to people because all they want to say is well, when are you back when are you back it's the same chat every time mm, I guess particularly at Northampton I was on a one year contract yeah. So, you know, the minute I did my injury, everyone within the club knew that I was done. You know, it was up to the club out of whether they'd seen enough within two, three games or three weeks of training, mm. whether or not they were going to give me another contract. And I guess that was the basis of the conversations that I was having with people. You know, are they going to give you a new deal? Northampton are flying in League Two at the moment. You get a new contract to be League One. And it's just, you just have no control over the situation. You yeah. really don't know what's going to happen. You know what? I, I chat to um, Connor Wickham quite a bit, who was at Lone and Sheffield Wednesday with us. And he's recovering from an ACL injury as well. And you just encounter different problems that you just don't see coming up that you can get from the most simple of you know training or whatever you do you know when you start to jog again you really don't know how the knee's going to react until you you put it through the motions Mm. so it's just a very up and down sort of experience it's difficult I guess but I guess my family knew the situation and when I came home I didn't want to be answering you know oh you know this question and that question because they know I've already answered it 20,000 times you don't want people tiptoeing around you though as well yeah Yeah, well that's true yeah like I was kind of getting to a stage where I, I didn't want to be going to family events and I didn't want to be going out with my friends or whatever because I'm just so sick and tired of people asking me the same questions. Mm. And, you know, I don't know the answers to these questions. You know, I don't know when I'm going to be back. I don't know how the knee's going to be when I return. Yes, the rehab is very difficult. What else do you want to know kind of thing? Yeah, and this process in the last six weeks, I mean, like, have you come to terms with your decision? I mean, you're able to speak very well about it, but is, it, is there still do you still envisage there's going to be a struggle ahead even just to... to to cope with the, with the absence of even having that focus of your recovery time mm. all of a sudden you're into this slight unknown now I guess yeah 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 like I guess when Nelligan told me you know you know maybe it's best if, if you pack it in and you know medically that's what I'd advise you in the back of my mind I was still thinking 12 weeks from my time in operation I could make the cup final if we get there really? and, and that's just the nature of a footballer you know I'm thinking 
he's he's done a bit of work on my knee. If I just rehab this properly, I might be able to, you know, at least get involved with training and then give, you know, the gaffer a problem or he might say, geez, he's actually able to, to move again. <laughs> I soon found out from coaching to, you know, through coaching that my knee wasn't, if I can't coach and get a better training pitch coaching, there's no way I'm going to be able to play. But in response to your question, you know, I guess my body has probably told me over the last two years or particularly the last six months that this isn't going to be easy you know if, if you get back playing this isn't going to be something that's going to be long term and mm. um, even if I did get back playing I was probably only going to be able to do it for a year to three years max so you know I was always going to have to take steps probably sooner than other people would in terms of life after football yeah and if you weren't able to play to the level that you know you could that might have possibly frustrated exactly you as well you know yeah exactly exactly you know I was part of a very good UCD team and then I, I went to the UK and I played at a high standard in the UK. Would I have been able to maybe drop down to part-time football and play first division football where there's probably less stress in the body? I don't think I would have been able to do that simply because I always wanted to push myself. I always wanted to play at the highest level I can. To drop down to that level because my body isn't able to do something would probably have led to some serious frustration. Yeah. I can understand. But but yeah, you're still coaching. You're still I know you're from a like a football mad sort of family and you know, your brothers and, and your dad and so on that it hasn't like soured your attitude to the game. Like you're out coaching kids in Belvedere this evening. You know, you're still you still see football as part of your future. Absolutely. I guess <clears throat> from going back coaching i think it's probably giving me a different perspective of things i think when football becomes your job it, you don't lose a certain love for it but you lose that some form of enjoyment because it's now a job mm. and you know you're you're fighting for wages you're fighting for points etc cetera, etc cetera. when i went back and you know you, you coach at the school boys you realize they're doing it for the love of the game you know they enjoy it they're playing with their friends and there's just probably more of a, a fun feel factor about it and i guess from going back and coaching that's probably rejuvenated my my love for the game really? to, yeah. yeah to a certain extent because the last three years like i can't explain to you like i could count the amount of highs i've had in one hand and mm. like i'd need a a book yeah I'd, i could write a book on the lows i've had and that's just the the brutal honesty of it you know sheffield wednesday i wasn't playing i was wanted to go out and loan i wasn't allowed to go out and loan i actually was wanted by Paul Cook at Chesterfield to go out and loan. And there was a disagreement over finances and I wasn't one for banging the door down and saying, you know, Gaffer, let me go. Mm. And I had to I had to go up to Stuart Gray at some point and said, listen, they want me, I want to go. You're not going to play me, irrespective of whether we've, every centre midfielder is out. They, you know, he was drafting left backs into play centre midfielders, mm. dropping tens into play centre midfielders. I said, no matter what happens, you're not going to play me. What difference does it make if they cover 30, 40% of my wage or they cover 100% of my wage? If they're covering something, it seems to be better for the club to take some form of, you know, finance in from and cover some part of my wage and let me go play. I might play and then I can come back and be beneficial to you. And he said, well, if I let you go, I'm going to have to put another 23 on the bench. And I said, what difference does it make? So he said, let me see what I can do to see how loan deadline came along and uh, I didn't go out on loan. And it's just... That's just so disheartening. Did know? he not? Did he not reach as a player, or what was it? It's a funny one because story. Dave Jones. Dave Jones was the manager, and he signed me when I went over initially. And Dave Jones threw me straight in. I made my league debut against Leeds live on Sky Sports in in a big, big Yorkshire derby. So he threw me in. He had an element of trust in me, and I did really well. Played. I played in beside Ross Barkley in centre midfield. Team would have had you know Mikhail Antonio, Chris Kirkland. So I was playing in a, in a good, good squad. And I did really well at the end of the first season. He said, how do you feel you've got on? I said, you know, I've done well. I, I played here. I went on the launch tram here and I, I've played the goods of 20, 25 games. I said, I couldn't, 
I couldn't have envisaged this going any better. I was coming from UCD in a part-time football. And he said, you know what, you've done really well. He said, it's important that you kick on pre-season and, you know, you learn and you develop and you progress. So I came back and started a second season. He said, listen, I want you to go on loan to Bury." And um, I called my agent up and I said, listen, he wants me to go to Bury." He said, don't touch them. He said, Barry, you've just gone into administration. Kevin Blackwell has gone in as the manager. He's on Sky Sports News saying he doesn't know half the players' names. So I'm thinking, well, if I've gone to Tranmere, who were top of League One, and Barry are, you know, probably lower half league two at the, at the moment. You know, surely I'll get a better loan move than that. Went into Dave Jones, told him wasn't going. And I mean, things were flying around the office. He wanted me to go because they were covering my wage, myself and a fellow called Danny Mayer. They were covering 100% of our wage. It freed up money for him to bring in a centre forward, which is what he wanted to do. Wasn't having it. He wasn't having it. Was that the beginning of the end of your relationship with him? Kind it of was, yeah. I was in training with the under-18s next week and... That's just the nature of, of English football. Do you ever think as well, if, if I had gone to Cook, like, what might have happened? You know, like, you know the way when things go wrong in your career and certain set of circumstances bring you to a certain place? Does mm. that ever dog at you? Like, you know, this? Yeah, it does. Um, the end of my second season, I went with my father and I sat down with my agent at the time who told me, Cook, he wants to take you on the same money that you're on at the moment, give you an extra year in your contract and he's going to play you. And I was thinking, that's exactly what I need. I have a year left at Sheffield Wednesday, but I don't feel as if I'm wanted. I need to get out and play. You know, I need to put games on my CV, basically, because all my CV was was League of Ireland-based. And how seriously English clubs take League of Ireland and, you know, how much they value the games you play there, I'm not really too sure. Um, so at least I had this contact in Paul Cook, who was League of Ireland, tried to sign me when he was at Sligo. I was going to go in and I was going to play. Um, and... Agent strung me along, strung me along. He said, looked at my father straight in the face and said, you know, this is going to be done. He said, he just wants to sign a striker first and um, then he'll bring you in and strung me along on that for probably the guts of a year, year and a half. And that brought me to the end of my contract and Cookie went to Portsmouth and I never heard from the agent again. Mm. And that's that's probably, you get that a lot more in the UK than you do in, in the League of Ireland just simply because there's more money on on offer and you know there's more clubs and there's more managers it seems to be a li- lot more simple here because it's a smaller community I guess when I was over there I wasn't really too sure about you know how that side of things worked and how it ran and mentally that probably took its toll on me as well <laughs> who to trust I mean is there an element to that as well yeah like I, I was going over there and I don't have I didn't have great experience at the UK game I hadn't come up through the academy system and yeah. been able to see how players have maybe gone out and loan and developed and they actually came out in the media at one point, Jeff Wednesday said that I turned down low moves, which was absolute garbage. And, you know, that kind of puts fans that must back be so as well. annoying. Like. It's so frustrating. And as a player, you, you can't exactly go about tweeting or, you know, yeah. coming out in the media because it's so unprofessional. But I was putting all my trust in an agent who had been around the block and has moved players in the League of Ireland to England numerous times. And I was putting all my trust in this person. And then for all that, you know, to be strung along on that. And to be honest, and to be fair to him, I had calls from Paul Cook and Cookie was saying to me, listen, I want you to, take, I want you to bring him in, but they're making it impossible at the moment. To be strung along, strung along, strung along until the end of the se- end of my contract and then not even receive a phone call or, you know, to say, well, maybe we can go this way, we can go that way. I was very much said, you know, well, it didn't work out. I wasn't told this, but that was how it was left. It was like, you know, it didn't work out. Off you go. Sorry about that. I, I can only assume as well after that first season that you hadn't in your head reached your potential by any means. I mean, you were only getting to know the the English game. like Yeah, I was, I was only nine months into being a full-time professional. I was only 22 years of age. At the time, I was thinking, you know, 22 is not young in football terms. But I look back now and I'm thinking, I was only 22 playing on that team. You know, 
had I gone on and, and he'd put a bit more faith in me and I played my second and third season, you know, it's it's hard to know what, what could have happened. I could even say, you know, if I didn't get injured at Northampton and played that full season, they went on to win League Two. I was on a one-year contract. I would have been in a very good position had I played all those games. I would have been a free agent. Good season. I could have gone to a top-end League One team or, you know, lower championship team. That's just how things could have panned out. But it's, it's all ifs and buts at the moment, you know. Yeah. It you could is. have been playing for Ireland and not <sighs> passing the ball the other night. Well, I look at it and I, I see, you know, the likes. I would have played underage with Conor Horhan, Jeff Hendrick, Robbie Brady. They were all my age. And it's only when you see how well and how much they've progressed and what they've gone on to achieve, you, you kind of compare yourself to them and think, well, God, what if? What do you mm. recall of his, uh, him as a player? Well, well I, no, what I was going to say is, what is people, again, who aren't familiar with this, what, you were nine months away at 22. Like, what's different about your background is that you actually, you had opportunities possibly to go when you were, were a kid, when you were younger, but you sort of decided, I think, to, to go for your education at that point. Yeah, I was, I was in Belvedere College and my parents had invested good money in my education, so... You know, I had the offers at 16 and 15 and 16 from Reading, Birmingham, Nottingham Forest, Crew Alexander were championship at the time, and I turned them down because there was no way, you know, I was mature enough to go away. Yeah. Um, so I did my leaving cert, finished leaving cert, had an offer from Burnley, Owen Coyle at the time, went over and trained with them, did really well with their first team, and um, had an offer, had enough points to do commerce in UCD, had a sports scholarship on offer, um, and... I, I just something about Burnley didn't sit right with me and I was probably always a bit young at the time as well and I didn't particularly like the area that I was going to be moving to and that was probably a bit more of an issue at 18 than it was at 21 mm. I was kind of thinking you know oh maybe I'll just go to college and I'll, I'll play with UCD and I like Martin Russell and I'll be able to get my BCom so that's the way I went and that's the way I took it I actually deferred for a year on the UCD course and said I'm going to go to Burnley and then changed my last minute changed my mind at the last minute and went and studied in UCD and it's in hindsight now that I'm so lucky I did. It was the right decision. I have something to yeah. fall back on, on the, off the back of the knee injury. You know, I've met with recruiters and I've met with um, you know companies. And the fact that I have my BCom behind me, combined with the experience I have from football and the skill set that I've probably developed through sport, it puts me in a very good position mm. going forward in, in terms people, of going into business. And people knock UCD like as a club in the league, small crowds, yada yada. But like they they bring so much to the league in terms of just nurturing players and. Um, it's also done in a very kind of prudent way in terms of obviously scholarships and all that. But how do you look back on your three or four years or whatever it was? Ah, my UC days were excellent. Like I was, I was lucky in that I had Martin Russell there who had a lot of trust in me. Martin was probably a similar midfielder to myself. Did he see some of you and him? Kind yeah, of? he yeah. probably did. You know, I was a left foot. I was a creative player, um, and I went straight into that first division winning t- winning side. So that would have been with the likes of Ronan Finn, Greg Bolger, Andy Boyle, Evan McMillan, Kieran Kulduff, Dave McMillan. So proper players. It's like only that. when you named and you list the players off you realise what a bloody good team we had. Um so I was in a, a really good environment. We had, you know, good competition for, for places and it's just a, it's a nice environment to be in as an 18, 19 year old because everyone is of similar age and there's probably not the pressure of a Shamrock Rovers or a Dundalk where you've got massive crowds and massive expectations to go win trophies and titles. It's probably about survival at UCD. Um, and playing with Martin, Martin likes to play an expansive kind of game and he likes to play from the back and he likes to be creative and that was you know suited 
right down to the ground with me because that's exactly how I wanted to play. So I look back on it and I, I think back and, you know, we won the first division. We comfortably survived every time I was there. Played with some great players, played against the likes of Villarreal in pre-season games and managed to get my BCOM off the back of it. So I, I can't look back on that with nothing but fond memories. So what, are, what kind of culture shock was it then when you went to England the first? Because you're going into a different a different world in every sense, a bit more of a, a moneyed world in terms of, did I hear a story before, I think you, you players, you go to England, you get on to like Andy Cole or someone for a car, or there's all these people, you, you, all these people and characters around the game you need to meet. Yeah, like, it hit me like a ton of bricks probably at the start, and I guess the big change for me was the fact that when I was in UCD, I was studying and training, so I was used to having quite busy days to them, being a full-time professional footballer which is you know sometimes in a training at 10 and finished by one and having all that free time kind of thinking what am I going to do you know I'm away from my family and friends you can fall to bad habits pretty easily you, you really can yeah and you probably see yourself of yeah, you go that way yeah you do you do you see like the likes I lived with or I didn't live with but I lived beside Gary Medine and Gary Medine served you know time in prison for ABH and GBH in, in Sheffield so you, you do see both sides of of, of the coin mm. um, you wasted your time did you <laughs> <laughs> what did you get up to the evening <laughs> well to be honest I, I flew home probably a bit too much at the start probably suffered from a bit of homesickness but once I you know it was six weeks in when I when I played my first game and I, I at, the, at the start I probably took everything in my stride and it's only when I look back now I think my god that was actually that was crazy you know, yeah. I was six weeks in and I was used to playing in front of three, four, five hundred people, away fans at the Belfield Bowl, to <laughs> playing my first game with Southampton away in the League Cup, Mark and James Ward Prowse. Yeah. And, you know, in St. Mary's Stadium, I'm looking around thinking, oh my God. And then the second game I was thrown in was Leeds at home, live Sky Sports Friday night. And we drew one on. The fan comes onto the pitch and hits Chris Kirkland the punch. Mm. And, you know, the games all over Sky Sports News and you're thinking my god this is you know this is, is that your best memory in football yeah yeah it will be and you know one of the main reasons I'd say that is because you know when you're playing you want your family and friends there I was lucky enough I said to my parents on the Thursday night I said listen I'm, I'm I think I'm starting tomorrow I said the game's live on Sky Sports but you know this is my league debut you might want to come over and to have them there was was nice because you know it was it was a full house it was thirty thousand people there and you know had a proper feel to the game and it couldn't have gone any better i was man of the match in the game everything i seemed to do just seemed to come off and it just went well and it was nice to have them there because it would have been a bit surreal had i gone played the game got man of the match to then go home to the apartment by myself you know it just would have been yeah it, it's nearly like an adrenaline your adrenaline's here and your adrenaline's down down there then you're thinking oh god that would have been a bit you know yeah. empty nearly yeah. so that was you know when I look back and I think you know I played in midfield beside Ross Barkley I was being marked by Michael Brown who was you know at Leeds and it was a big Yorkshire derby and for everything to go so well you know it's hard to it's hard to compare anything else to that yeah I mean yeah, I know you, you obviously I think you've slated your family before for being a family of accountants <laughs> I'm not sure if they've forgiven you for talking about <laughs> the, the boredom levels but I mean I, I guess in a certain way you must appreciate this and I know like the structure you've had there all the way through this as well though you do have a pretty tight family that not everyone maybe has that privilege that this kind of dark days that you've had they have been there for you the, the whole way through it from there to here yeah my family's been absolutely massive you know <laughs> 
even in terms of my extended family, not just, you know, my two brothers and my parents. Dan, are you extended family? <laughs> no, I don't think I can. I don't think I can. No, I've been, I'm trying to, exp- try to figure out with his brother Vinny, are we related or actually not? It's a great disappointment. To if you're in America, you'd be cousins. But, then, uh, um, but, but yeah. even, even having cousins over and, and people coming over when I wasn't playing at, at Sheffield to, to fill my time and to have company and, you know, particularly with the injury as well, when, when things weren't going so well and, you know, there's very dark and lonely days when you're injured to have them there, even to come over and just pick you up and, you know, go out and do something simple. It, it, it helps. It really How does. How hard is it on your mental health though? That's, you know, just yeah, massive. Um, even Sheffield, well, at the end of my time at Sheffield Wednesday, I came home and I was really, really down. I was looking at it and I was thinking, you know, this was meant to be the dream for me first year went unbelievably well how have the second and third year gone so bad and how am I left in a situation here where I don't feel as if I have any options and that takes its toll I I, I spent probably two three four days in the room by myself thinking you know where am I going to take this like really where am I going to go I want to go back to the UK do I have options in the UK the agent that I once has had isn't there anymore you know, I had to nearly go out and source an agent for myself. Don't get me wrong. You have people coming at you left, right and centre, but you don't, as you said earlier on, you don't know who to trust. Mm. At least in George O'Callaghan, I had someone who knew the League of Ireland, had somewhat of a similar background. At least I could maybe put a bit of faith in him to say, maybe point you in the right direction. Mentally, and you know... This it, was it, back in the bedroom where you grew up as a kid, is it? Like, yeah, where it all, is. It is, all yeah. All the dreams yeah, were... Yeah. You know, I was living away from home and, and then all of a sudden you're back in your family home and you haven't really got a, a plan of, of where you're going to go. It, to put that into context to someone, it's very hard to to actually communicate what that's like. And I guess only being a footballer and, you know, having gone through the experience of the, the cutthroat industry and, you know, someone saying, well, do you know what, you're not for us, you know, it didn't work out, maybe go find somewhere else. To have someone... To have your confidence rock like that and to have, you know, your confidence in what you do and your skills and whatever and to take that big blow is very difficult. You know, it's kind of left to yourself then to pick yourself up and, and go again. It's it's very hard to... I, I'd say probably being let go by Sheffield Wednesday was probably nearly tougher than the injury um, because the injury is is kind of more long-term, whereas at the end of your Sheffield Wednesday's days, it kind of comes down on you like a ton of bricks. Um, and as Dan was saying earlier, had it not been for my family and to have that support system, it would have been a more difficult process. I guess on the plus side, if you know if you were part of a great bunch of players and you see a great generation, you're part of a generation of very young coaches at Rovers who are you know, trying to grow themselves, I suppose, in their coaching career. So how has that been? You know, you're surrounded by all these young, kind of aspiring men at Rovers and in Tala. Yeah, like, I guess the likes of um, MacPhail and Bradley, you know. Were you like MacPhail as a player, by the way? Yeah, well, yeah. I, I played with MacPhail at Sheffield Wednesday. And um, even in just training sessions, we'd always kind of be looking for each other to, to play off and bounce off because we seem to be on the same sort of wavelength. Neither of us best blessed with any real pace. So I guess our creativity and our ability to move the ball was probably quite similar. Um, so... The fact that he was going in as director of football and the fact that Stephen Bradley was taking over as manager, I was kind of looking, and I'd played against Stephen Bradley. I knew what sort of philosophies they had on the game. And I guess having to step back and not being able to train and having to watch games and whatnot, I've probably learned a lot from them without even realizing too much. I kind of 
tend to go out and watch sessions and don't get me wrong sometimes I don't go out and watch sessions because it's just very hard to take the fact that you can't train but when I do go out I, I tend to listen quite intently to what the likes of MacPhail and Bradley and Glenn Cronin are saying because my next step within football is probably towards coaching whether I went go into being an agent or whatnot I don't know but I, I definitely intend to stay within the game in terms of coaching so I'm all the time trying to learn from these people um, so yeah you know being surrounded by young coaches and seeing the fact that they're getting an opportunity is probably you know gives me a ray of hope for myself you know if yeah. you wanted to sorry Daniel, no, if, you, if you um if you're talking about possibly being an agent so you're you're obviously you think you might have an eye for the young talent in the league and who who do you think is the hottest you know property in the league at the moment a hottest property in the league is is no doubt McElhenney you know he's still young as well what is he he's 24 now actually yeah. injured last night I was on there with Lewis out of the game and I got news that he wasn't playing and I was almost tempted <laughs> do I really want to go out now because I'm really looking forward to seeing him play but anyway. yeah, yeah McElhenney's without doubt got unbelievable talent whether teams in the UK might look at him and say is he a bit of a luxury player is he going to do enough without the ball and when he has the ball is he going to score enough goals or create enough chances that's probably maybe the reason why they haven't taken a chance on him. When I look maybe a bit close to home and look at Shamrock Rovers, like Trevor Clark has a chance, definitely has a chance. Um, like James doing it as well. Trevor probably would need to operate as a left-back. I think he's better when he's got more space to run into. And, um, you know, he's blessed with pace and power. And Very powerful lad, isn't he? When Yeah, he's a slight figure, but, you know, you don't see many, very many people knock him off the ball. I think when you, when you look at full-backs and... If you're if you're quick and you're strong, that's nearly half the battle. You know, you look at Seamus Coleman. Seamus Coleman isn't exactly blessed with unbelievable footballing talent, but what he does and what he's good at, he's excellent at. You know, he gets up and down the line well. He delivers crosses. He defends. He does all the basics really well. I probably see a lot of that within Trevor as well. Yeah, I mean, it's in, it's interesting from your experience of England. Then you come home and you're in Ireland. Like, do you have a better idea of what type of player will succeed in in the because it may not just be obvious that the guy who stars here is going to be naturally suited to it over there. <laughs> Just look at the team that I play with in Sheffield Wednesday and, you know, training day-to-day and matches and day-to-day, you'd never look at Mikel Antonio and say, he's the one that's going to go on. He's, mm. you know, he's the one within this group that's really going to go on. He's going to get England caps. He's going to get new contracts at West Ham. It, you just want to look at him and say, that's what's going to happen because technically he isn't exactly the most gifted. Mm. But what he has got is he's, he's athletic. He works hard. He scores goals. He gets himself in the box. And that's sometimes enough. You know, he, he has a work ethic and he's got a desire that often, you know, goes past talent, natural talent. Natural talent doesn't always rise to the top. A lot yeah. of the time it's hard work and it's it's just grit and determination that gets you that far. And I'm, I'm, I'm close with Mikhail. I go over, I'm going over to watch a game with James Doon at the end of the season. West Ham are playing Arsenal, I'm going over to see him. But never in a million years would you say he's the one that's going to go on. So... I would have watched a lot of games from being at Sheffield Wednesday and I played in games and I guess my football education has, has probably come on a lot since watching all those games mm. and being exposed to those environments that yes, I probably do have probably a better understanding of what it is that you know gets you. They're, gets they're you. looking for Exactly. It. I think with McElhenney, the fear is that his recent injury record as well and just clubs might look at that and just, mm. you know, they might, they might, they might, they might count against him. I think it's the biggest way. indictment of any scouting system that he, no, nobody's even taking a punt on. You can't play Rosenberg in Oriel and be by far the best player on the pitch I thought in the first game. I don't buy that luxury stuff at all. I, I just don't, I see, and I was thinking actually in Cardiff, like, geez, if McElhenney were playing for Ireland now in this structure, in this kind of mindset, like, 
what would he think? Mm. What did you make of the game, actually, just on a slight tangent the other night? Um, I think what you see is what you get with the Irish team. <laughs> which is um, <laughs> which is hard work and, you know, probably a lack of quality. You know, I was Is it a lack of quality or is it a, is it coming from the, the you know the, the, the top that <laughs> it's probably a bit of both. You know, I'm I'm nearly pulling my you know, I'm looking at it, I'm nearly scratching my head thinking well, I was at the Moldova game, I'm looking and Darren Randolph gets the ball and the two centre halves aren't really looking for it. Is that coming from management or is that the players? Is that a fear of, you know, I don't want to play it from the back. Yeah, I, I don't midfielders aren't looking for it. Not to mind the at times. Well, midfielders can't get the ball if your centre halves and fullbacks don't get on the ball. Um, and just too many times with Karen Clark, I'm looking and he's not. And you recognise it as a player. You might not recognise a fan because he's he's actually just walking straight forward. He doesn't. He's not looking towards Randolph to give him an angle to drop off him and play it from the back. And that that for me smells a bit of a fear. I I don't think that as a country, we have the confidence to play it from the back. And, you know, funny enough, we don't have that ethos within this country of keeping the ball and playing a possession-based game. You look at schoolboys football as well. No, no schoolboy team. It's all about, you know, play it long, we'll play off that I, man. I don't think it is anymore, though. I think if you look at younger players, I think even in the League of Ireland, and I even found from when I was playing at my level at home to now, it's definitely changed. That there was more emphasis on passing. But my problem is, and I'll put this to you, Dan, if you're a player and you're looking at the international team playing that way and succeeding, is it nearly like a kind of a, a qualified success in the sense that we're not going to get anywhere playing like this long term? And that's what was great about Dundalk last season. They did. They had a. There wasn't a culture of fear with Stephen Kenny. They they wanted to play. Now they lost goals from it, but I would argue that they overachieved. So I was kind of watching the game Monday night, and I'm like, it's great that we're into a playoff. But if we lose the playoff after playing like that, it was it was anti football. Is it a good thing? Yeah, it's just a difficult one because we're in a situation as a, like we're in a situation as a country where uh, you talked about like ethos. We have a situation where the business, the industry football in this country revolves around the results of the senior team and the managers who are brought in know that and they're really not going to be that interested in development they're not going to be interested in you know being part of some longer term plan for them it's it's all about the end goal and what they think is the best use of the personnel to get that senior team result we could have like an under seven and actually there's some good results at the weekend it must be said for like 17s 19s 21s whatever but they're not the, even those teams play in a different way to, to the senior side there's no there's no defined irish way of playing mm. like i don't know like what if someone said to you paul uh this team has plays with an irish style like i mean what what does, does such a thing exist or, or yeah. what is it you'd you say know? it's not long and playoffs yeah it is, but they, yeah. I mean, Coleman was that was the commentary after the game, reading some of the media over there. But then you look at like McElhenney and Stephen O'Donnell. That that's that's an Irish style. What, what's wrong with that? Like, what's wrong with unbelievable passes, first touch football, Robbie Benson, what he's what he did? Why should we be defined by like what's caveman football? It's all about blood and guts and thunder. Like, but sometimes you have to look at the opposition that Dundalk are playing against. You know, are they at a standard that are they're really pushing Dundalk and really pressing them? That sometimes it's it's nearly it's nearly too easy for them. But even last year against the likes of Zenit, they passed the ball, admittedly, admittedly under pressure. In the game against Legia, the defining game that kind of set them on the journey, Stephen O'Donnell looked for the ball off the back four and the, 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 all the back four wanted to pass the ball. 
against Legia. But I Wars. think probably to maybe teams pressed them a bit more as the Europa League mm. run went on. And, and found out that they could make mistakes. But but it was such a, an inspirational philosophy for Kenny Tilcock, Caden, the players. Yeah. As opposed to a, a, a structure on Monday night, I just think that takes us back in terms of our, our, our hopes for the future. But the problem is, the one thing I would say is though, I think, I think everyone ideally aspires to the senior team playing that kind of way. I think I don't think there's people necessarily who actively don't want them to play something that's a bit more pleasing. But they spend so little time together mm. to actually really, and, and and they're also, a lot of them are playing at clubs that might necessarily be playing that style of play. I know they might, their clubs might play some, but like Harry Arthur, for example, I, I just thought he was still trying to come to terms with playing mm. at the time that plays in a, a team that plays in a different way. I felt in Georgia, he was just, you know, what the, hell is, what the hell is yeah. this? <laughs> but, but when you have a squad primarily based of guys playing in championship level and at certain clubs whose approach is playing the percentages a bit more too, then, you know, to be fair, like Stephen Kenny's and Dog work together every every day, mm. you know? So I think there's a there's a challenge there and you need a huge cultural shift over a long period of time, but then you need to be prepared almost to sacrifice a campaign to get that style and the type of players in, but they can't afford can't to sacrifice, sacrifice a campaign. campaign. Yeah, so. we, str- we struggle. I, th- I think we don't have a... You know, an actual identity yeah. between, you know, 17s, 19s, 21s, senior team of how we want to play. Yes, it's unrealistic to play an expansive type of football against a Germany, a France, a Spain. But I think people go back to the Georgia game when we played away from home and our lack of ability to keep the ball was was quite worrying. And it's those games when we're playing the likes of Georgia, the likes of Moldova that we... I think as fans would like to see a bit more. Right. Well, listen, we've we've discussed now. Maybe you might you know be an agent or you might be a coach. But now we've gone to punditry, and now we have to sort of go towards predictions, possibly as we well, do. because I think we're sort of time is creeping up on us, Johnny. So we need to. He's effectively to, said, uh, you know, he's he's going to, you know, hang up his boots. So we can <laughs> give non-partisan kind of. Yeah. Well, let's just let's just see how he fares. We'll just run through. Dan, our, how did we get on last week? I have I no idea. I, I think I bombed. I have no idea. Irish independence, a guy in your in your absence. A, a guy. I mean, Keen, give him the name. The boy Keen. Keen. Yeah. Boy Keen Tracy was five out of five. Five out of five. Yeah. Uh, okay. Never Let, having him on here, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's start with uh, Bohemians and Cork City, and uh, Bows just seem to be a little bit resting on their laurels of late because they were they look very poor against Sligo. Going oh yeah, actually, I think I fancy Sligo to win that game, and and you were you were saying. Sadly, you know, you're saying sadly, uh, I think they might have a chance or something along those lines. I think we got a couple of tweets basically pointing out, you know, th- that was a very enjoyable Galway United podcast we did last week. But, you know, when is the, <laughs> when is the League of Ireland show returning? So, um, yeah, it's a big win for Sligo. I both are in that limbo and then Keith Ward is also going to be suspended for this game. Um, you know, chance for Cork to get it done. They just need to get it done as soon as possible. But I, you I, hope I keep, win, I keep hearing you? this thing from people. I keep hearing this thing from people that Cork really want to. Uh, they really want to win it at home against Derry on the Monday. That would be the ideal scenario to give them all a night. But Jesus, you don't want to be pushing on too much more here. Like that involves then a loss or a draw here, and then all of a sudden there's just three games to go, and you're looking at them in isolation, going, "Well, Pat's away. That's going to be difficult." Bray, okay, last game. They just sort of need to get this done, and this could be the best chance just to remove it. If, if Bowes have maybe lost that bit of intensity because Europe has probably gone now with that result last week and they're, they're fine from the drop, there may be a big Cork crowd. I think they've still like, sold a fair few tickets and they're going to bring a good crowd up. But this is their chance to, to get it done. However, I want to go for a draw, by the way. Prediction. Yeah, so Paul, basically, what, what Dan does here, we'd normally kind of get very tight on time and then he kind of rambles on for three <laughs> minutes about one game and then he goes for a draw. <laughs> Bowes against Cork. 
I'd go for Cork. Cork didn't play last week, sure they didn't. No. no. Probably give them that bit more time to kind of gear towards this game. I'd fancy Cork to beat both. Beautiful, Paul. Thanks for it. I see. I this this guy's going to gonna take over everyone. Eventually. <laughs> LOI Weekly with Johnny Ward and Paul Corey. Um, Bowes against Cork. Uh, yeah. I, I think Bowes might nick a draw as well, Dan. And uh, just keep us going for another I thought we'd finish that game, but anyway, go on. I hadn't <laughs> given a prediction. Okay. Right, and... Dundalk against Bray. We'll start with Paul Corey here. Yeah, it's Dundalk, man. Dundalk, the best club ever to play in the League of Ireland? The best team that I've seen, anyway. Um, as we were talking about earlier, they have a clear identity of how they want to play. They seem to have got the right personnel with down through the years to, to play that way. And, you know, they're, they're kind of the benchmark that people aim for. You know, Cork have won the league this year, and rightly so. They, they started the league on fire. But I think Dundalk have regrouped throughout the season and, and have kind of got back to that level that they were... Well, close to that level they were at last year. Mm. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to predict a home win, Dan. But just one aspect of this game that we shouldn't lose sight of is Dylan Connolly's playing. And he's been, for me, he's been very disappointing. He looks like he's still a little bit unsure of his role in the team. And they don't seem to be able to basically maximise his potential in terms of putting the ball behind defenders and get them to run on. Because maybe defenders just seem to have, have his measure at the moment. I don't know. I think there's been some okay signs for Connolly the last couple of weeks that he's just starting to Did get... nothing last night. Well, just... I don't know. I, I, I was speaking to a couple of people who watched him every week and they think there's some promising signs that he's just... It's, it's, it phases in games. Like, the start of the Rovers semi-final, he was killing them initially. Final ball can be poor, but he's he's given them some problems. But uh, in terms of this game, because I just want to mean... I'm going to go for brevity here, Johnny. So thanks for taking on a completely <laughs> different tangent there. Um I go. I would go it's for my a, tangent. I would Dan. go for yeah. You you love your own tangents, <laughs> not anyone else's. Um, oh, I would go. On, for, Dan, come on. I would go for a home, but they're not going to be really patched up. Like there were a few players out on their feet. We should we'll come back to the Connor Clifford thing again because he's obviously subject to a ban, um, and he's and he's gone now. And just a McElhenney injury could be out for a week or two. He he looked very it's, gingerly it's, walking around. So last night. they could be vulnerable off the back of 120 minutes in a stretch squad. I'd just go for a home win, but wouldn't be shocked if there was a... And any game. suggestions that the boy Gannon might be away at the end of the season, potentially to Rovers, uh, I should point out last night that he repeatedly thumped the crest in front of the Dundalk fans <laughs> and seemed to love the celebrations, as did Stevie O'Donnell, who did nearly a lap of the pitch afterwards in front of Paul Corey. Um, <laughs> go United against Pats. What a home dinger here, Dan. Yeah, um... We should mention Owen Garvin as well. He wasn't included in the list of really good midfielders earlier. That's I think fine. I forgot about him. You probably forgot several other people as well, Johnny. Uh, uh, not midfielders, I think. Um, a lot of them like Paul Curry, Garvin, McPhail, um, Martin Russell, Curry, all in the same kind of. You made that point at the start of the show. But not, a bit, not the but boy thanks, Garvin, thanks, though. Thanks for making it again. Not the boy Garvin. Um, thanks for making it again and just dragging Galby on. Golby against what's Pats. Your, what's your Golby Pats preview? Prediction. You know the way they say a, a draw would be no good to either team? Yeah. A draw. It'll be a draw. Paul? Yeah, a bit of the same mindset as well. Mm. Conceding sloppy against Bray going you know, I'm going to go for an away win, Johnny. Away win. I'm going to break your heart. I just think that, that late concession for Pats could shock them, or else it's going to go either way for them. Because then they've got, oh, they have yeah. a very hard run in. Well, the thing is, they're probably praying for Cork to win the league and then hope mm. it's a, it's a Cork are on the sort of celebrate robust tour, you know, and Pats will beat them next Friday. But Yeah, um, I, I think Galway just defensively didn't look great at all against Bray, but it's going to be a cracking game. Huge crowd, I hope, in Galway. Um, Northwest Derby of. Um, some consequence really Paul Curry Derry City against Harps and uh, you must admire Derry the way they play when they're at their best yeah I've seen the mentality there a few times and they looked really good I really like Jared Doherty and Golden his you know ability to actually play out from the back and he nearly starts them off um, expansive kind of team as well and that's the type of football I kind of like to see um, 
probably you know Ryan McBride and what happened up there has probably affected them quite a bit. Um, but definitely, you know, one of the top four teams within the league. Does the McBride stuff give you any context in terms of my struggles are bad, but, you know? Of course, yeah. You know, I sit on the PFEI committee and they, they're gearing up towards the charity run, um, which is made of the McBride Foundation. Um, and it definitely puts context in things, you know. As I said earlier, there's more to life than football. And, you know, that's a perfect example of it. Dan, Harps, huge game for them. Um, but... Derry have floundered a bit and they have to get this European... I'm going to go for a home win, but Derry are floundering a bit in the last couple of weeks. Things just don't seem quite right there. Um, the results would suggest that a bit yeah, as well. Har- yeah. Harps are sort of at the, you know, desperation stakes, but you know, they, couldn't, they couldn't beat the dock at home and the dock had a you know, pretty mixed side out. So, nah, home, home win there. I was coming into the car park last night and um, as the crowd was streaming out, I was like, it's a kind of a flat end of the season for Rovers. They're not going to win anything. They will qualify for Europe. But then I was thinking of the other Rovers, Sligo Rovers, who are like, we're meeting them at a really good time now on Friday night. And uh, I could see Sligo Rovers getting something here. Um, I'm actually going to predict that they'll nab a draw, Dan. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd agree. They've got everything to play for Rovers. That's going to be a, a bit of a blow for them to take. I, I might even just go for a surprise, surprise away win. Paul Curry? A home win. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Still pays the bills. And Limerick against Drogheda to wrap it up. That's a perfect game for Limerick. I mean, I know Drogheda give Rovers, I mean, they, they were nil all for a while, but Limerick have, have started to play well. They'll be buzzing after a 95th minute goal, and this is the chance for them to remove stress. Home win. Paul? Yeah, I'd agree with you there. We played Drogheda last week, and I didn't think they'd any real end product to their play, and didn't look as if they were going to hurt us at any time. So oh, it's hard to see past the Limerick win there. Did you make it into the dressing rooms in United Park? I actually did at half time. You know, I don't have too many fond memories of that dressing room. It is bloody tiny. Did you bring a cat in with you to swing around? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, home win. And uh, just to mention, I suppose, Neil McDonald, really Limerick have started to play, and you can see that he's kind of putting his, his own mould uh, on the team. Paul, how would you like to be remembered as a player? I guess. Um, and know. that was Paul Curry. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think he might be back again to discuss this in more detail. Yeah. Never has a player been on the show or an individual who's dominated the discourse for the 90-odd minutes it's nearly been at it's this Johnny, it's the quietest you've ever been on the podcast. I'm, as, I'm, I mean, I'm, it's been very enjoyable. Now, when the listeners. boy MacPhail was here, I was a bit starstruck. Uh, the boy <laughs> Curry, um, I, I don't actually remember you that well because I didn't watch that much of UC. I think Galway and I were in limbo at the time, so I didn't see you that much. But how would you like to remember? Uh, I was a ball-playing midfielder who you know, was part of, I guess, a very successful UCD side in, in the context of UCD. Um, you know, did well enough to make my way across to the UK and... You know, I have fond memories there, and I guess I did well enough, probably not as well as I wanted to do, but, you know, it's obviously not a career that I envisaged or, you know, I probably expected more, but when I look back on it and I think I played Championship, I played League One, League Two, FA Cup, League Cup, Irish 15, 16, 17s, 19s, and was in 21 squads, I guess that for me is is not a bad CV to have. Um, but I guess if you're, if you're looking for it in a quick sentence, I guess it was a ball-playing creative midfielder. I think from the last hour, whatever you do in uh, life, be it football or otherwise, I think you're going to be a big success. Thank um, you that was, I suppose, Dan, that was, a, it was a, one of the more difficult shows we've done in the sense of looking back on, on a, a tough decision. But uh, he's going he's gonna to make, make some waves, I think. He'll do good. He'll do good. That was episode 34. And uh, no, we've no 
we've run out of things to give away. No competitions this week. Um, and and in, go and enjoy the games this week because you know we, we bemoan the ten team league, but just there's going to be so much tension in places like Game and DC Park, um, even to an extent in in Daily Mount. And uh, thanks a million, Paul, for coming in again. No problem. Uh, you'll uh, will you be getting in a good few games towards the end of the season? Yeah, I will. I'll be following obviously Shamrock Rovers around and uh, obviously taking the cup final. I'm telling everyone how great LOI Weekly is. Absolutely. <laughs> thanks for listening, guys.